So we are continuing on our empty series. And today's subject, I know, I know people are going to be thrown off by the term, so I'm going to preface that. Uh, we're talking about empty stewardship, and before you think that, oh no, he's preaching tithes and offerings, I'm not preaching tithes and offerings. We're going to talk a little bit about finances, but stewardship is something more, it's something deeper, it's something that God requires of us, whether it's our time, it's our energy, it's our influence, our family, our car, our uh, however you want it. God requires stewardship because he gives us all things. And so we have to remember that those things he gives us, he can also take away. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm going to tell this story a little bit later about a friend of Scott's and mine who um, seemed to take it a little to the extreme, but in the end, you'll understand why. Um, stewardship... Like I said, it can describe two things within the church. First, giving, as in giving in tithes and offerings. Uh, we have to remember that when we give to the church, it helps us pay the bills. Another way that we see stewardship happen is when people are paying attention to what happens in history. We have people that keep records of certain things, whether it's historical events or um, changes, it sounds weird, changes in language, changes in fads, changes in things. That's stewardship. People keep a track, a record of things. We have people that keep track of family histories. So we have people in our own families that we call patriarchs and matriarchs. Those are the people that know the history. Why Aunt Mitzi, 50 years ago, moved from Arkansas to California? That sort of stewardship. It's because of that that we have groups like the Sons of the Revolution and the Daughters of the Revolution. People have kept such meticulous tracks as to why we have family members and these lines that go back to show that there are people today that have direct ancestry to the fighting of the founding of our country. Jesus talks a little bit about stewardship, maybe a lot. This can be found in Matthew 25, 14 to 30. And this is going to be a first. I'm not actually, we're going to read this, but I'm not actually going to go back to it. This is a parable he talks about, about three servants that work for a master. The master is about ready to go on a journey, and when he goes on this journey, he calls these three students these three servants forward. And this is what it says. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. And he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master whose servants came 
and settled accounts with them. And he said to the one who received the five talents to come forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set over you much. Now enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I do not sow, and gather where I do not scatter seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have at least received my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, God takes stewardship really important. And like I said, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not just about money, even though our first point is going to be on finances. We can't start without the obvious. God wants us to be good stewards of our money. It goes beyond what we think about the church caring only about money. God asks us for our offerings, so like I said, we can pay the bills in the church and do what we need to in the community. But God gives us certain purposes. He gives us certain things that we need to understand about taking care of the money he gives us. This is what Proverbs 13, 7 says. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Now, this means living within our means. A few years ago, there was a story that came out of Chicago where there was a guy who was a janitor at a school. And everybody loved this guy. This guy was famous, you know, well-known, popular. Students loved him. The guy lived in a very modest home, very small, two-bedroom home, uh, always got himself a used car. He retired. Still, nobody gave him a thought. They loved this guy. When he passed away, he left over $7 million to the University of Chicago. Nobody knew that this man had been investing money. He didn't live like he was rich. He lived like he was poor. He went to the thrift stores and everything else and lived like he wasn't making the money that he was. This is something 
that we can understand. Recently, we went through the Great Recession. Now, to put this back, there was a generation that went through the Great Depression. The Great Depression happened in 1927, the Black Friday, or was it Black Thursday? Black Thursday. Banks went, just turned over on themselves. People were committing suicide. They were doing all sorts of horrible things. They were afraid because all their money, all their investments were gone. And the country and the world went through a period from that time until about the end of World War II of recovery. People struggled to find jobs. So this generation grew up. And we, we can make fun of them. You know, I hear people making fun of them today. You know, that, oh, you know, grandpa or great-grandpa had three of this in the house. I never understood that. Part of the reason why our great-grandparents and our grandparents did a lot of this stuff was they went through this time where they had nothing. And they collected, when they had the opportunity, two or three things so they could live a biblical principle. When God says, you know, if you have two cloaks, give it to the person who has none. Ten years ago, we started the Great Recession. So now a new generation has grown up knowing what it's like to lose a job and struggle to find it. And because of this, we have seen a revolution. It teaches us that things are temporary. Right now, a lot of, a lot of the teenagers, the high schoolers that were in you know, high school during the Great Recession, the start of the Great Recession, today they're building tiny homes. And it seems ridiculous, but they're doing this because they know that they need to save money and that the world today isn't what it was almost 100 years ago when their great-grandparents had gone through the Great Depression. They're not looking to buying McMansions and the latest cars. They're just looking to maybe buy a little bit of property, build a small home on it, and live comfortably within their means. And that means also taking care of their future retirement. The second thing God tells us we need to be taking care of are our family and friends, stewardship of our family and friends. God looks to us as those primary caretakers. Paul writes a very hard, very harsh thing on this. This is in 1 Timothy 5.8. He says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now we have to look at this and understand this is if they can provide. Our first ministry is to our families. For me as pastor, my first ministry is to my wife, then the church. We can take, if we can take care of our family's needs financially, we need to do that. But for our other family members, if that time comes when they need help, we need to look to help them. Give them money without seeking repayment. Even though, even though, there are times where if that family member has not done well with finances, we ask them for that back. 
Why? Because we want them to learn to be good stewards. We want to say to them, listen, I'm willing to give you the $100, but you haven't always been good with money. So I want by such and such date you to repay me this money. We might not always be able to help take care of them financially, but we can use our connections with other jobs, with other people, to help them find work, to help them get into the things that they need to, to help them find homes. It's looking out for them yourself as if you were the one in need. Jesus himself did this. When he was up on the cross dying, he looked down at Mary, his own mother, and said to her, Woman, behold your son. And to his best friend, John, he looked to him and said, Son, behold your mother. Now Jesus did this knowing that as the oldest son, he was in charge of taking care of his mother's needs, taking care of all that Mary needed. And now he wasn't going to be there. People will say, well, why didn't he give it to his next older brother? Well, the Bible tells us that James and Judas also were martyred. Those were Joseph and Mary's two oldest sons. And so we would take it that even the other two, the two youngest sons, also would have been martyred. And so Jesus gave the care of the woman who had birthed his earthly body to the one person that he knew would take care of her as if she was his own mother. It reminds us what Jesus writes, or what Matthew writes that Jesus said in Matthew 7.12. It's the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So it means, you know, we take care. You know, if we want people to help us, we need to be willing to help them. We need to be willing to do things that might make us uncomfortable to help someone. Because in the end, what happens if we're in that same spot? The last part, the third part of this, is facilities. Now, God has given us this building here. He's given us a good deal of land. But he wants us to be good stewards with it. And that's what we started doing. We started doing this. Now, like I said, I was going to tell you about Scott's and my friend. Um, God gives us stewardship not only of this building. He gives us stewardship of our homes, of our cars. And uh, Scott and I had a friend who almost vainly took care of his Monte Carlo SS. And, I mean, this kid would make sure that it wasn't scratched. He would make sure he always washed it. He always got it tuned at the right time. He got it always oiled, the oil changed at the right time. Well, long story short, it seemed to to Scott, myself, and his other friends that this was just stupidity or just overdoing it or, or however you wanted to put it. But he was called, the Lord called him to go into ministry. And so he and his wife looked to move to California. 
and he was able to sell that car for more money than it was probably worth because of the detail and care he put into that car. He got about four grand more than he should have because he took care of it, because he honored what God says about being a steward. And so he sold it, and he went to California, and he got his degree, graduated the seminary out there, and he's now a pastor down in South Carolina. But he wouldn't have been able to do that. Now, God tells us to take care of his building, his stuff. And this is what he says in Haggai 1.4. This, this is when it came time that they had to rebuild the temple. He said, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in a paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, going back, Israel had been captured. Seventy years had passed on since they were in captivity in Babylon. And what remained of the temple had fallen into disrepair. If you, if you go online, there are uh, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of channels on YouTube of people that do what they call urban exploring or urbex. And it's interesting to watch this. You can see that people go into these abandoned places, whether they're amusement parks or schools, or homes, but you see the decay that happens. And in many cases, some of these places have only been closed like four or five years, and they look like they've been closed for decades. Well, that's what God wants us to not allow to happen, and that's what we're doing here. So, you know, give yourselves a pat on the back for taking days and hours and helping us as we're trying to get this place looking good. That's stewardship of what God gave us. People come in and they look and they say, do I want to serve a God? They talk about this God and this glory, but this place doesn't look like it gives him glory. Mark Clifton writes in a book, Reclaiming Glory, that the reason why churches go and fall into decline is because people don't take care of the facility. And when people come in to visit, they look and they see places that look like they belong 20 years, 30 years, 40 years ago. And there's no fresh paint. There's no changing of certain things. And thankfully, that's what we've been doing. We haven't been doing it just to attract people. We're doing it because we are stewards of this place. And we still have a long ways to go. But God is pleased when we spend the time for like a weekend or a couple of weekends and paint and repair and do things. God, when it came to the temple, he had called Haggai and Ezra, Nehemiah. You might know those names. They wrote books about it, about what happened, about a lot of the problems they faced with the people. Zerubbabel was also the person. He was chief about this. And the interesting thing about Zerubbabel is he was direct ancestor of David. He was also a direct ancestor of Jesus. He, he had this heart to see the temple brought back. And this is what it says. And I know this is going to be a lot to read. Bear with me. Uh, if I don't flip this... 
These, it's just four chapters, but they are long, I mean, four verses, but they are long verses. But this is what it says. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But now read this next part. Now think about this. Let me just pause for a moment. Now think what I said about being stewards. Think about what I said about the great-grandparents. And knowing what they had gone through with the Great Depression and preparing for a Great Recession, the same amount of time had happened. But now this is, this is what happens with the older people that remembered. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of... Fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept aloud, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud with joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sounds of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. It's a reminder that those people, they were weeping because they remembered the glory of what was and they were looking forward to what would be. They were looking forward to the restoration of the temple. So when God gives us the things to be stewards of, we must take care of it the best of our abilities. God wants us to present him the best we can to the world, to our neighbors. That means being good stewards with our relationships. We don't let our relationships, if we let our relationships fall apart, if we're not working on those relationships, those relationships fall apart. We need to understand that pride is something we try and battle every day because we know it's something God doesn't want getting in the way. But we can take pride when we are good stewards of what he gives us because we are giving him the glory. Think about this. Back in December, our furnace went out. And we were, getting, we were talking about getting things updated. And we started praying about this. And God answered the prayers because he saw that we were working together. We were trying to come up with a solution to get the furnace back and to get us back in here to worship him. And he honored those prayers by answering them and by giving us the money, sending it on someone's heart to give us the money to replace that. That is the type of God that honors good stewardship. And seeing you all come alive at the joy of that understanding has brought joy to my heart. 
And I see how God is moving in all our hearts. He's moving us forward. And we have to hold on, continue to be stewards of what he's given us. And just be able to represent him and his glory the best we can by being stewards of the grace and the faith that he's given us. So, now, I'm going to take time to pray. I'm going to call Scott and Bryson up to lead us again.